Hello, sports historians. Welcome to another episode of our uninterrupted series. In fact, it's the final one. This one, Wayno uninterrupted. That's right, Wayne Boley, the LMU athlete from the 60s who went on to be the lead attorney for LMU in the Hank Gathers case. He sits down and he may not have dropped his East Bay shot, but he did drop some knowledge. 120 minutes straight from Wayno. It's Wayno uninterrupted. It was recorded March 2nd. 2020. Well, thanks for coming. Sure. This is great. Um, hopefully we can we can uh, do a little bit of background on you and, and find out a little bit about your athletic career and then talk a little bit about we were over at the um, statue unveiling the other day. So it would be great to get some of your insight on that. All right. Um, Marley's producing today. Hi. Way to go, Mar. <laughs> so um, – Wayne, I, I think uh, I read where you might, you're born in New York, state of? Brooklyn, 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 New York. Okay, so what, there for? I was there till uh, 1948, so I was there five years. And okay. then uh, I remember, I'll never forget, my mom said we're leaving. My dad had left early and, and come out here to find a home and, some, and a business to, to support the family. And uh, we went to the airport, and, and I didn't want to get on the plane. My mother told me, not to worry, this plane is not going up in the air. It's going to go on the ground all the way. <laughs> so that's the first lie, the only lie my mother ever told me. Nice. Um, your, uh, your long love affair with sports started in, what, the park leagues in Culver City? Yeah. I, when I, I was probably eight, eight years old, mm-hmm. um, eight or nine years old. I got on my bike, and I rode to, to Vets Park from where I lived in Culver City. Mm-hmm. And saw this team uh, practicing, and they were older than, than I was. They were probably 12, mm-hmm. 12 or 13. Um, and um, I talked to the park director and told him I wanted to play. He said, well, you're awfully little and you're young. You come back. I said, I really want to play now. I'm a, I'm a good athlete. And he ended up uh, endearing me to the team, and they let me play, and I played short center field. Okay. For the team that won the Culver City oh. Midget Championships Eddie, back, this how, is 1951, maybe? Oh, wow. How 52, did you, uh, you're that young, um, you had the gumption to walk right up to the guy and say, hey. I, I was p- p- playing baseball, Denny, from the time I was four years old. My dad was an ex-baseball player. And, okay. And, uh, and when I wasn't playing with him, I was playing in the front yard, throwing balls against the steps, sure. trying to catch them. Uh, throwing balls up in the air, pretending that I was uh, Carl Ferrillo catching a fly ball in right field. So it was. It was it, sports primarily has been ninety eight percent of my 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 act my life outside of my family and work. Did um did you have uh, any memories of the Brooklyn Dodgers being a fan of that? Because you're oh, yeah. really young, oh, but no. you know, I mean, uh, you know, my my dad who was was a Dodger. Uh, all the way. In fact, um, he had, he was a great great pitcher. He even tried out for the Dodgers. Really? Yeah, my dad tried out for the Dodgers, and he. The story goes that he had his. He was in spring training, and he uh, was pitching to Hack Wilson of the mm-hmm. Chicago Cubs, who hit, record. who hit a line drive, back, at, and my father instinctively raised his hand up. The ball hit him in his right hand. Broken eardrum mm. and broke his hand in about four places. Whoa! That was the end of his major league uh, wow. career tryout because 
he did pitch after that. He pitched for these teams that, that in those days they used to have like they call them similar to what we have as club teams mm-hmm. today. Like traveling. And he would play one weekend. He'd pitch for the fire department against the police. The next weekend he pitched for the police <laughs> against the fire department. So he t- he told me one other story. Um, 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 I'm trying to remember. I believe I believe it was Ty Cobb. But if it wasn't Ty Cobb, it was. One of those all-time greats had a sister, who okay. was a, who was a great player, and uh, she came to town, and there was all hoopla about her playing against the against the men, and my father happened to be on the mound that day, hmm. and <clears throat> anyway he struck her out the first two times he faced her, so she came up for the third time, and the manager came out to my dad and he said, "You've got to let her hit. People are here to see her hit." And he says, "If you want her to hit, put another pitcher." <laughs> And uh, uh, he, he said that the manager, in fact, did, in fact, take him out, put somebody else in so that the crowd could be pleased because he wasn't about to let her hit. <laughs> um, you know, he could have taken the shot from a worse guy. Hack Wilson was, was a legendary player. Like, I think he set the all-time RBI record. 190 R- RBIs in 1930, same year he had 56 home runs. Wow. No, that, that record still stands. The RBI record. I think stands. it still stands, right? It does. Yeah, it does. In yeah fact, that's, there, that's crazy a, to hold a, a record that long. There's a little bit of an asterisk because he always thought he had 191, <laughs> and they took one away from him for some reason. <laughs> I remember reading reading that story. So you're um, you're playing in the in the park leagues there, right? Um, primarily baseball, or did they also have like basketball and and flag football or at anything? At that like age, that? at that age, it was only it was only softball. I played softball. Uh, okay. Yeah, I only played uh, probably from age nine, ten. 11. I didn't touch a basketball until the fifth grade. Didn't mm. even know what basketball was until the fifth grade. In fact, one of my high school teammates, uh, who was all CIF, we all we went to grammar school together, and I can remember in the fifth grade, he beat three of us by himself. And um, uh, that's that's when I started, and that's when I picked the sport up and continued to play. What elementary school? Culver Grammar School. Culver Grammar. And then did you go straight to the middle school after that? Culver Grammar, Culver Junior High, Culver High School. So what's some of the uh, things you remember about checking in at Culver High School? You must have been excited to get on some teams with good uniforms. and. Yeah, you know, it was it was, it was was interesting because I had uh, I'd grown. Uh, I was probably 6'2", maybe, by, mm. the, by the start of, start of my 10th grade. In those days, high school was 10, 11, and 12. 10, 11, 12, yeah. So... The, the high school varsity coach uh, had recruited uh, uh, the us, myself, uh, Tom McPherson, um, to play in the high school the varsity summer league. Oh, right. So as a ninth grader in the summer, I'm playing uh, varsity summer league basketball. And then um, uh, the season started. I never thought I would play varsity as a sophomore, but I did. Uh, I got s- selected. It was Tom and myself. And one other tenth uh, grader that were selected to play varsity basketball as a tenth uh, grader. Wow! And how how the how were the centaurs? Were they centaurs then? Centaurs, always the centaurs. Uh, and um, we were average um, to better than average, maybe third or fourth place in the league my sophomore year, and my junior and senior year, we won the league. Oh uh, wow! Okay. And won the league and beat. Uh, some very prominent uh, Keith Erickson who went to El Segundo. El Segundo High yeah. School was one of my friends that I competed against in high school. 
Oh wow! Um, concurrent with I think Gail Goodrich in those days was he at was he out at Sun Poly or something like that? Goodrich is at Poly High School. Yeah, so he was a big time player out there, I guess. He was a but but again, and this is a prejudicial a prejudicial comment. City basketball, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is a lot different than CIF basketball. Yep. And and to their detriment, they don't have the they they don't have the financial support mm-hmm. that CIF schools did. So oftentimes, you know. Some of these great players like uh, like Goodrich, although he he got his accolades, he was a very good high school player, obviously, mm-hmm. and and now he's a Hall of Fame. Yeah, NBA oh player. yeah, he could score. Um, yep. So I do my research, Wayne. Yeah, I'm a researcher <laughs> by nature. He doesn't do the research. <laughs> um, does the research. I was hoping you'd fill me in on the snowball dance your senior year, 1961 snowball. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, actually, it was 1960 because it turned 61 in January. Okay. So I'm. Um, we had just played El Segundo in the Pacific Shores tournament. Oh yeah, Pac Shores. And um, we we beat them by about 18, 20 points. I scored 26 points. Wow. Tom, uh, my teammate, the kid I mentioned earlier, scored 29 points, and uh, we went through them like poop through a goose. That's all. <laughs> you get all tournament. Uh, and I, I don't remember did because, they, do that? because they, they did have an all tournament, but we lost the next game okay. to Glendale, who had four Division One players on their wow. team. They had the um, oh, there's a, there's a three brothers who played um, um, so, S- Sutherland. Okay, there's Gary Sutherland and his older brother who who was a great pitcher. Also, he went, they all went to they all went to Stanford. Oh wow! And played there. Okay, and a kid named Mitchell Tree and. And anyway, they were very good, and they beat us in the semifinals. So, if anyone would have made all tournament, it probably would have been Tom. Okay. If you get to the finals, you can get two or three kids, but yeah. in semis, you only get one. So the answer is no. So then, uh, to get to back to the snowball, <laughs> the next tournament we played in was the Beverly Hills tournament mm. at the swim gym. At the swim gym. And as fate would have it. Uh, we're playing El Segundo in the quarter or semifinals of the okay. tournament. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. It's, it's, you know, there was a movie made called Fate is the Hunter. If, okay. you, if you want to talk about fate, I'll explain it to you in just a second. All right. So the day before our game, um, or two days before our game, our game was on Friday, I get a call from... One of my dear high school friends, his name was John Hampton. And John Hampton was going steady with a girl that I had gone to school with from kindergarten to the 12th grade. Okay. She was one of my best friends. Her name, maiden name is Sheila Benson. He calls me up and he says, Wayne, I need you to do me a favor. And I said, what? He said, I need you to take Sheila to the snowball because I have to work. Mm-hmm. And I said, John, I, I don't want to do that. I, wanna, I don't want to go to the dance. And he goes... You have to do it, please. She really wants to go. So I called her up to see if I could dissuade her. And she said, Wayne, I really would like to go. John is such a jerk for doing this. He doesn't need the money. I don't know why he has to work. So I said, all right, I'll take you. So fast forward now to the game. The game is the day of the dance. At the swim gym. At the swim gym. We play El Segundo. Our coach made one of the few mistakes he's ever made in his coaching life, and I, I love my high school coach, 
he was like a, a, a surrogate uh, older brother or father to me. Um, Dale Goodyear. Dale Goodyear. Dale Goodyear. Right? Is that him? Uh, yes, that's him with the, the with the towel. That's him. Yeah. That's him. And that, those are three of my teammates. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, three of my teammates. That's great. Okay. Uh, so um, he leaves me in the game, and I foul out in the first half. Whoa. Wow. And the two of the calls were Did he horrible. lose track, or did he just trust that you wouldn't get no, another call? No, he, he, he thought I was – he knew that to beat them, we had to – Play, you know, play well. Because, okay. And this was a revenge factor for, for us them. beating them in the Shores tournament. So the game's over. We lose. We lose the game, and I'm in the shower. And Keith comes in. Keith mm-hmm. Erickson comes in from the other side and starts laughing. Says, hey, nice nice game, Wayne. He says, foul out in the first half. I, he said, what what the heck was wrong with you? And I said, uh, you know, I just, I, I've got to go to this dumb school dance. And he goes, I started laughing again. He said, have a great time. So I ended up going to, uh, it's interesting because the girl who had the party, the pre-party to the high school dance mm-hmm. was... High school hasn't changed much. No. The pre-party <laughs> was one of these girls that starred in, she was, she was incredibly beautiful, and she was in those, all those beach blanket bingo sure. movies, her name... Frankie Avalon and... Her, name was, her, her acting name was Patty Chandler, huh. and her real name was Patty Lauderbeck. Okay. And she was our homecoming queen... And um, who I took, by the way, to the, to the. Uh, oh, look at you! You're the, like you're uh, like Kobe dating the starlet to your prom. I took her. I took her to our uh, <laughs> uh, our not our homecoming dance. It was the. It was what do they call it? What's the what do they call the dance at the end of the year? It's the uh, the, prom? the prom. Prom. Or I or took her to the prom. Okay, the prom. I took her to the prom. Anyway, it would have been impressive if she Sadie Hawkins. So I go. I, here <laughs> I was. I was six that time. I'm six four, 170 pounds, and I had a glass of champagne. Mm-hmm. at her house and one beer and we go to the dance and as fate would have it we're, we go, we're sitting at a table and the table had two alumnus from the previous year okay great athletes from Culver High who the girls had asked to take them to the dance <laughs> okay. and I'm sitting there the six of us and one of those one of them was John Phillips who was uh, all CIF football player lineman <laughs> who became a judge uh, up in um, Monterey County Salinas, and Pat Brosnan, who went to Cal State Long Beach and broke every record there was receiving. First, he went to Santa Monica College. He ended up playing Canadian pro football, and sadly, he passed away at the age of 20, 20 or 21, oh, of prostate okay. prostate cancer. Jeez. So they're sitting at this table with me, and they're egging me on. We had a tray of cookies in the center of the table, <laughs> and they're saying, you can't hit the principal. And he was probably 30, 40 feet away. And they kept egging me on, egging me on. So funny, I picked the cookie up, and I threw it, and I hit him right in the chest. Oh, my gosh. And <laughs> he so, gets up, so sees me standing up, like there's the man who, who perpetrated this assault, <laughs> and comes over. And he he could sense that I had been drinking, whether it was my breath or what it was, pulled me out of the dance. And now here's the, here's by, by today's standards, what happened to me was one of the most egregious actions ever taken. He was a brand new principal. Mm, So he was trying to make an example of me. And he asked me that he would go easier on my punishment if I would tell him who had the party and where the party was. Oh, goodness. I wouldn't do that. So here's what he did to me. He suspended me from school. This is a turn. You're on the stand here. He (laughs) suspended me from school for two weeks. 
told my teachers I had to get an F for every day I was out wow. and that the highest grade I could attain, attain was a C. He threw me off the basketball team, wow. said you can never play basketball again this year, and I was a senior. What the heck? He, I was in the Senior Honor Society. He, he took my sweater away, threw me out of that. Jeez. I was president of the Blue Sea, which is the Letterman's Club. He, he threw me out of that. The only thing he didn't throw me out of was an off-campus club that I was a member of, <laughs> which he couldn't do anyway. So now here I am. Godly, my, that's, my life, that's my highly life, punitive. My life is, I thought my life was basically over. So for two weeks, I was going to Santa Monica College, and I'd meet these guys. They would have lunch, and they'd come in, and they'd laugh at me. And these are the same two guys that <laughs> they told, told you to, to do it to throw the cookie. So um, um, I end up eventually going back to school. And while I'm in, in school, and I'm telling you this because I think this is so important. I can remember writing a couple of uh, uh, stories to kids that had, had fallen on bad times, explaining to them mm-hmm. what happened to me and and how I turned it around in hopes that they would turn it around. Um, my coach comes up, pulls me out of class, and he says, I've got a list of all your classes. I just want you to follow me. And one by one, he took me into the class with the, and talked to the teacher during class and said, listen, this young man has a chance to play college basketball at a very high level, but he will not be able to play if you don't give him the grade he earns, he will not be able to get into the school. So I'm asking you to disregard the principal's instructions. My goodness. And give him the grade that he earns. Don't give him the grade that the principal told you you must give him. Jeez. Five out of my, four out of my five, there's a PE, they gave me an A. Four out of my five teachers gave me the grade I earned, and one who was afraid of the principal gave me a C. So I had A's, all A's and B's and, and one C, and I was able to get into and that. Loyal, that moved your whole life loyal, forward. I was able to get into Loyal University. But it goes even further. I, I, when I said fate is the hunter, we were talking about this. My wife and I, Tina, my wife of 54 years, um, had I not thrown that cookie, had I not been suspended from the basketball team, mm-hmm. I might have. I was offered three scholarship offers without playing my senior year. Loyal University, Cal State Long Beach, and Pepperdine. Mm. And for some reason, I, ch- I chose Loyola. I think the main reason was the head coach was my U.S. history teacher, Art? Um, John Art. Yeah, John Art, who's still a very good friend of mine. And um, so he was high school teacher at Culver City, Culver but City. then he was he head was coaching. coach. Okay. Well, he was the, no, he was the freshman coach when I he see. taught, and then he got the head coaching job and, he was, and the athletic director's job, taken over for Billy Donovan, and then he quit teaching. But you may not have chose. Well, I may have. I may have gotten yeah. offers. For, I may have been better player that mm-hmm. other schools looked at, and and I would never have met my wife. I never. I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> right, you. right. So lucky you. Uh, Look at it's, it's, all, uh, it's all led up to this point. I right? call that fate. Fate is the hunter. <laughs> that it, just, is, it turned out to be a blessing rather than than something. Horrific. And it's also a really important, um, you know, just example of how important <clears throat> coaches are sometimes because they see the student outside of the classroom engaging in something else and giving the best they have in another area and they can see that part of them. And so then it's it's important in that they also mentor them in a whole different way sometimes than teachers or other people in your life do. Without a doubt. He, um, uh, I mean, he didn't have to do what he did. Right. Uh, he he did it. Bold. I mean, it was unsolicited by me. I, mean, I wasn't even thinking of that. 
and he just came in and pulled me out of class and, and he's a legendary and, guy there right like with he me sure eventually. is the gym is I, I i spoke at the the gym is named after him it's yeah, called the Del, right. it's called the Del and it's, one of, it's like built in the aviation area era kind of isn't it almost built like a hangar yeah it's a it's a small gym uh mm-hmm. small gym with seating on only one side yeah right and um uh they've never for some reason no bond issues nothing has ever happened to where yeah. they They've leveled that or made that the girls' gym and built a bigger gym, but it's still there. They have a same great, place. They have a great program. Like their football team is off the charts lately. Their football team is is excellent, and Goodyear's son is one of the one of the coaches. Oh, isn't that team. great? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's cool. That's He's a neat lineage. So you had to um, Loyola. I had to Loyola. You hadn't been. You'd been a public school kid. Was any of the, you know, the fact that that's a religious school? Did that open your eyes to anything well, no, or weigh on you at all it, it, the only thing that bothered me was was coming from a from a public grammar school i i signed the application i was a, a roman catholic mm-hmm. i signed that but if you're a catholic you have to go to religion class all four years every semester you must take a religion class well i've never i mean other than going to uh first holy getting first holy all communion that? classes and confirmation classes at saint augustine's which okay. is I did that, but these guys were all taking religion coming from all the Catholic high schools. 60, yeah. 50% of the kids that go there are coming from Catholic high schools. So at that time, and it was an all, it was all men, there were no women. And uh, I, as I sit back and think about that, I wonder how could that not dissuade me from going there? But it, for some reason... Did you have to do the CCD classes when you were in elementary school? I did. You did? I, I used did. to blame everything on the CCD kids to my <laughs> teachers. Anytime I was missing an assignment or, you know, didn't have my pencil box or something, I'd go, it's, it's, it's those CCD kids from the public schools, sister. Uh, it's, it's amazing. But the um, uh, the school itself, you know, and I have uh, I have grammar school, high school, college, business friends that I still associate with. Yeah, uh, so it's just my personality that that I stay involved. In fact, the end of this month, I'm going. we're going down one of our high school friends. In fact, he's in that picture. Mm. Uh, moved to Long Beach, and we're going to go see his house. There's four of us. We're going to drive down and see his Isn't house. Isn't that great? Yeah. Tell me about, um, now you're, this, this is when, of course, um, in collegiate sports, freshmen didn't play on the varsity. Correct. So you're, so you're ninth grade, did they have a freshman team that you played on? I did, they did. And so um, was, was John Arndt the coach of that, or had no, he already been promoted? He had been promoted, mm-hmm. and Art uh, Bell, hmm. uh, former player there, became the freshman coach. He was my coach. Um, and then once you get to your sophomore year, um, you seemed you seemed ready to go because you had some good stats ready there, Wayno. I had some great stats as a freshman too. I remember I made all tournament at the Pasadena freshman tournament. Um, I was a second leading scorer on the team. Uh, Dick McCloskey was the leading scorer, and um, so understanding and knowing me and knowing my mentality is important for this point. Mm-hmm. So I'm I am now. You go from the freshman team to the varsity. Mm-hmm. And and I'm counting the guys on the varsity because they only take ten to travel. Mm. And I'm counting and I'm saying I've got I want to make that traveling team. I want to make that traveling team so bad. Mm-hmm. And I was on full scholarship as was most of everybody on that team. So I'm counting and I get to nine people that I know are going to be for sure on it. And then there's the three freshmen. Sure. That that Dick Schindler who. Uh, turned out to be a great college player, Dick McCloskey, 
myself. And then there was another kid, uh, his name was Ron Miller, uh, who was all CIF. Okay. And I, Oh, and I'm going to tell you an interesting story. So now, as a freshman, uh, this just came back to me. The first day of practice, the coach lines us all up on the baseline. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm your coach, and I'm Art Bell, and what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to step out, give me your name, and tell me any basketball accolades, awards uh, that, that you think are relevant for okay. me to know. Okay. And I'm probably... There's probably 18 18 kids there trying out for the freshman team, and I'm number 17 in line. And the first kid stands, goes up and says, my name is Hugh Foley. I was first team all state from Montana. Hmm. And I'm going, oh, my God, all state. And then we're going down. Another kid stepped out and said, I was second team all CIF. I went to a school called Avalon High School. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to these guys, all league, all school. And now it came to me, and I stepped forward, and I said, I played uh, two years of varsity basketball at Culver City High School. That's all I said. <laughs> and I said back, well, it, it, I quickly learned that uh, the kid who made all CIF uh, from Avalon High School would not start on my JV team in high school. Yeah. That's how weak that Putting program. up numbers there at Avalon playing and, and Mary Star. And being all state in Montana – uh, had I, my parents moved to Montana, I'm sure I would have been escaped. But um, right. Uh, anyway, it was it was an eye yeah. opener to see all these guys with all these all these awards, and here I was. Actually, what you what you may not know is when I started LMU, I was on a half basketball, half baseball scholarship. Right. And after the first year, I asked him to please, uh, you know, is there some way you can? Because I by the time basketball was over. And I went out to the baseball field. The season was half over. That's going to say, yeah, they've already played games. They start in they start in November practicing. Yeah. And by March, their season is. That's tough to do that in college. So he said. um, And your and your true love was basketball. True love was basketball Mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. So he said, "That's fine. We'll give you a full basketball scholarship," which I had. And then I then I started playing volleyball thanks to your cousin, my brother-in-law. And, and because you had the the spring open, I had the spring open, and it was like probably a club sport there at the time, or no, it was the volleyball they, just first collegiate volleyball teams. It uh, started, in fact, in the in the '64 nationals. Uh, Santa Monica College won it. Yes, and they won. They won five it. out of the first six or something because they, they probably they had all the '64. They just started like two years earlier, so I picked the sport up very quickly, uh, and. Um, uh, played played with with uh, your cousin, my brother-in-law, um, who started the team. So uh, did a little digging, Wayne, as you know, yeah. big researcher. <laughs> Notice uh, over your career, okay, you go all conference one of your years. Correct, my sophomore mm-hmm. year, and uh, pretty solid. You know, you always seem to be about the third leading scorer. I I I think I. I average close to ten points a game. Yeah. I think you're right. You're uh, right in that area, and pretty decent field goal percentage, forty-one percent from the floor. Wow. But I do have to take you a task on something. Okay, go ahead. I have a lot of respect for you. I always have. I know. What and it I is. really would have thought you were more like an eighty, ninety percent free throw shooter. And, and I'm seeing sixty-eight point one yeah, way. And and I just I, 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 I you know I circled it and I said you am going to need to I'm need to confront this. At the age this. of seventy-six, I think I could shoot a better percentage. Than that. <laughs> Did you go underhanded? You didn't even no. I, well, I did go underhanded the last game of the year. Did you really? <laughs> Just for fun uh, against USF again, last game of the year. <laughs> no, um, looking around too, it seemed like um, Loyola was pretty strong. 
when Jerry Grote was there? Grody. He, he, Grody. He was a good player, looked like. Jerry Grody was a great player, yeah. college player. Yeah. Drafted by the Lakers. Right, didn't play right. Much. In fact, that's how I met Jerry West. Through him? Through him. Um, and Jerry West, I I don't know if I – I forget if I relayed this to you, but um, while I was at Archer, he came to speak to everybody there. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and he got out, and I said, hello. And he goes, so you're one of the Lennons. And I said, yeah, and he said something about Wayne. And I said, oh. yeah, Wayne tells me he beats you regular in poker. <laughs> and he goes, oh, really? He said that. I suppose he told you he beats me in golf, too. <laughs> so I want to uh, get this straight now, Wayne, on record. Golf. He's a very good golfer. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, very good golfer um, and a good friend. And, yeah, I met him. Uh, uh, you may or may not know this, but when the Lakers – when West Baylor, Tommy Hawkins, mm-hmm. Jimmy King. When the, when, when the Lakers were there, they, all, they practiced at LMU. I do remember okay. that. Um, Dick Gass took me to their practices when I was eight years old. The and shout way. out to my godfather for doing that. I, it, it cemented in me that <clears throat> adoration of both the like the Laker brand, these great guys. And, and I just I really loved basketball because I went and watched the Lakers practice at Loyola. It was but awesome. The only... Uh, people allowed in the gym when the Lakers were practicing were the varsity basketball players. Mm. So I was able to get in the gym. And how I met Jerry West was practice was over. Mm-hmm. And Grody saw me. And Grody knew I was a volleyball player. And he played a little volleyball. And he said, Wayne, let's let's play some volleyball. So we were setting the net up. And Jerry West was down at the other end just shooting around after practice. And he stopped, put the ball in his arm, came down and said to Jerry Grody, hey, this looks like fun. Can you teach me how to do this? Really? And Grody said, I can't, but he can. He pointed at me. And so that's how I met him. And we've, we've been friends ever how since. How cool is that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Was he, uh, did he take to it? He was, bounce, he was bouncing balls into the ceiling uh, when he timed it correctly. His ball control passing was, was a little suspect. But in 15 minutes, he was, you know, he had, I'm guessing he had close to a 38, 37 he had a crazy vert. vertical. Yeah. And he was, when he timed it, he would literally was, and he got, he really enjoyed doing that. He <laughs> of liked, course. He liked that. Did, how did you pick up the sport? I mean, uh, you know, you told the story that that was my uh, cousin. So I, uh, I, I hadn't <laughs> mentioned that so far, that you're married to one of my uh, dearest and uh, leaders of my family, Tina Boley, um, uh, Tina Lennon. And so, um, but her older brother introduced you to the sport? Yes. Well, I played in, in high school. It was a... It was a sport that we all dab, dabbled in, and uh, there was no high school teams in those days. We dabbled in it. We used to go to the place called The Wall, mm. which was in Santa Monica. There was a hotel that had a pool. I can't remember the name of it. Mm. Right, you remember Honest John's? Yeah, I do. Right, down the street from Honest John's, closer to Pico, there was yeah. a, there was a yeah. place where the Culver High kids congregated <laughs> in the <laughs> okay. summer. And we would started playing some, some beach volleyball. So I played a little bit there. Okay. And... Um, uh, played a little bit in my senior year in high school, but it wasn't until my uh, freshman and freshman year in college did, that I started. Did Culver playing. City have any kind of team, or was it no, like more like a no, P nothing. class or after school nothing. or it something? It was nothing. Yeah. It was just they had a tournament, a two-man tournament, sure. that they had, and uh, it was won by John Arndt, <laughs> who was a teacher. John okay. Arndt and a and a girl. Okay, he yeah. beat, he beat all of us. So oh, that's. That's how I. That's how that, I picked this. That, that's how you picked it up. Um, also, around this time, I guess you're what a senior when you're going to meet your future wife. No, no, no. I met no? her. 
after you graduated? As, as a, no, as a sophomore. Oh, as a sophomore. Uh huh. So that's um, it's an interesting um story. The meeting of her, or yeah. when we went to jail. <laughs> <laughs> Which, which I was going to slide in easy, uh, but I like how you cut I, to the chase. She, <laughs> she came. I was a member of the Teak, Teak fraternity. We had an open house, and uh, Ted and Peggy, her mom and dad, brought her to the open house. And I saw her and and asked who you know if, if she would be willing to uh-huh. to go out on a date. And sorry, let me turn that off. Right. Danny Bowie. Hmm. And they said yes. So. That was it. We started dating my sophomore year and uh, got married um, December, uh, the December following my graduation. So she would come to probably to your basketball and volleyball games all, and the like? She would come to all the games. I noticed something from when you used to play volleyball. Yeah. One, I'd like to compliment you on your technique. Thank you. It's pretty solid. Um, what's up with the over-officiating on one side of the court where they would that's, have an up and a down. That's how, they, the, that's how they did it for some right? reason, yeah, in those days, which was this man never called anything <laughs> with reference to unders or nets. Uh, he would call nets occasionally, Yeah, but um, he, was in, he was in charge of that. And could you penetrate the over the net, or you had to block straight up and down as not, a blocker? Well, depends on the year. Yeah. Um, and I can't oh, it changed in your, yeah, in your comp- changed comp- in your comp. Yeah. Well, there was one year where you could not block over, so everybody would have, would go up and soft block. I, I their hands, remember their hands, having to do that in beach. Put their hands this way. Well, the beach yeah. was like that for a long for time. For a long time. Had you been able to block over on the beach, I would have been much better than, than I was. So you're a um, young married guy, and uh, I think you got your teaching credential at Long Beach State? I did. I went to Long Beach State to oh. work on a teaching credential and a master's degree. I cut you off on something. Could you... Yeah. Um, how did you end up in jail? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> all right. So we are uh, at a fraternity party, and this is a this is a great this this would make a great story uh, or scene in a movie. <laughs> so we're down in Manhattan Beach at a fraternity party, okay. and I'm with Tina, my wife, and my, then my girlfriend, and one of my other fraternity brothers is with another girl that went to her high school, and my wife does not did not she doesn't drink. So we decided to take a walk down on the strand and I put two cans of beer in her purse and I was holding an open can. My fraternity brother was holding an open can. We walked out of the house, took about five steps and these lights hit us and uh, it was a police officer and they arrested us for possession of alcohol as a minor. Wow. And, And of course my wife doesn't drink so now I won't tell you about the, the details of what happened. Why I ended up, I ended up having because of my loudmouth friend, we ended up not getting to make a call until about three thirty in the morning. Oh goodness! Um, so now it's time to show up in court, and I had, had never met her father, and this was you know I, I had taken her out maybe three times, and um, we show up in court. My father and me, uh, my fraternity brother and his dad, this other girl and her dad and Tina and. <laughs> Uncle Ted. Your Uncle Ted. Now, as we're standing there, <clears throat> a man in a suit comes up and says, are you the kids that were arrested for alcohol possession? And we said, yes. And he said, for $35, I will get you off. So my dad forks out the 35 The other two fathers 
And Ted says, my daughter needs to learn a lesson. Oh, yep. And she is not now. She's the only one who wasn't drinking. She's the only one who not drinking. And she, so, we all she pled, was a mule, though. We all pled not guilty. The case got dismissed. The judge dismissed it based on something the attorney did. She pled guilty with an explanation, trying to tell the judge, I don't drink, but the cans were... She had her. She was found guilty, and put on probation until she was twenty-one. So she had a record. She was the only one who didn't. I drink. did not know she yeah. was. Dang, I, I got to look at her in a whole different light now. But I will tell you this: that one of the the third toughest thing I've had to do in my entire life was to go to their house and knock on the door and ask him if I could take her out again. I was oh, I was shaking when I when I knocked. On <laughs> How that did door. he go through those? You know, he handled it pretty well. Thanks to Ted. Uh, Ted, I think, helped me a lot by telling his, his dad that he's an okay guy and it's not like you know, think and et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, having 13 kids in the family. Uh, <laughs> they did have 13 sure kids. He, he ran uh, into yeah, plenty of that. I'm sure he had enough enough uh, information to help uh, me with my cause. You mentioned, uh, you said <laughs> the third toughest thing. Yeah, the third toughest thing. The, the, first, the first toughest thing. I think would have to be when I buried my son, mm. uh, uh, who uh, we found out in the eighth month of pregnancy that that um, uh, he was not alive, mm -hmm. and Tina had to deliver the child stillborn, mm -hmm. and then I had to, to carry this little box with mm. uh, was it Monsignor Wade, somebody mm -hmm. from St. Mark's, and then Tina couldn't even go; she was too distraught. Wow. And um, yeah, the second, the second toughest thing I think was was I, I can I can remember was uh, taking the bar exam mm -hmm. and stressing over that. So those are the those are those are, those my are life moments. Three. Those are my top three. The um, you had you'd gone to you got your teaching credential at Long Beach State, and then were you also going into uh, law school at the same time? Or no, or no. When I when I I was married, and I decided. What I wanted to do, I wanted to teach and coach. Mm -hmm. When I realized I wasn't good enough to play professional basketball, mm -hmm. I wanted to teach and coach. And I started the program, and I started doing a lot of student teaching, and I realized that I wanted to coach more than I did teach. Mm. And teaching was 80% of my day. Mm -hmm. And then I had a real bad experience with a football coach at Millican High School who taught history. Mm. And... When I met him, you know, I was 21, 22 years old, and, and and I'll never forget this as long as I live. And I was, I was, he had a classroom that was designed, his classroom, he had his desk was at an angle, and then he had his classroom designed in the form of a C or a U, mm -hmm. so that if you walked out into the center of the room, your back would be to a third of the class, so you'd have to you'd have to turn you have to be real careful where you'd stand. So I'll never forget this as long as I live. I went to fourth period and he was the football coach. He had taken a personal day off. I show up and he says, "You can go home. I'm going to coach the football team." He was the head coach of Millican High School. And I and he said to me, uh, "Did you enjoy the day?" And I said, "I thought it was great." I said, "Your kids are all top-notch kids. They're disciplined. They do a great job. Smart." Smart kids, and he said, "How did you like the way I had my classroom designed?" Hmm. And I said, "You know, I found it a little, a little difficult because, you know, you you constantly got your back to the students, so you got to be real careful. But from that standpoint, everybody's close, 
So they have to pay attention to you when you're talking. So I thought, and he looked at me, and he said, you got to be kidding me. And I said, what, what do you mean? He said, didn't you notice? And I said, what? He said, I put all the good-looking girls in the first, oh, in the first row. Of, the first row of every, <laughs> of every class. Back and, to back then, it was just called and, harmless. Yeah. Now and, it's and a I hashtag. Just said, I just said, this is not for me. Yeah. If that's this guy after 20 years is doing that, is worrying about putting good-looking girls mm-hmm. in the front row. So um, that turned me off. Did, to, you, t- did you tell him I'm already t- t- dating a criminal? No. 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 <laughs> um, so you're getting married. Uh, you get married, and uh, I just want to let everybody know: four children, twelve grandchildren are going to come from this union. But um, you have a l- young six-week-old, and so you need a washer and a dryer, and you go on the newlywed game. Oh, oh gosh, yes, yes. <laughs> so um, do you remember this? Oh, I like it was yesterday. Would this be first uh, first season, like newlywed game, kind no. of first started? Or, no, no. Or, or no, they it, had a little bit of play. They had a little bit of play, and, and I'm, not, I'm not. I may be wrong, but I think your cousin even helped us get on the show, Kathy. Oh, okay. Uh, one of the Lennon sisters, and so we get on the show, and we're just knocking it dead. We're we're in first place, going to the bonus question, which and is yeah, which is where the you... bonus was where I screwed up, and uh, <laughs> and uh, it would, so I have a friend, I've, a dear friend of mine who I've known since he was. So, well, since we were 10 or 11 years old, 11 years old. And the question was, what will your husband say is the eighth wonder of the world? Right. That was the question. <laughs> and Tina answered it. That's easy. He just won the family golf tournament trophy, and that's what he'll say is the... Because it's a big three-foot-high trophy sitting correct. in the middle of your living room. Correct. And I beat your Uncle Jimmy <laughs> and your Uncle Bill. Um, and that's so I come out. And say, oh, that's easy. Paul Schwartz is the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> I mentioned this guy, and so we lost. And um, she was so upset that I missed that question. And the word got back to Paul. Paul's very, very, very affluent. Um, he bought us a washer. No, he did. <laughs> Because Tina, so Tina felt, wasn't a big fan at yeah, the time because no, he, you were you were not. doing some all night games and card gambling games, with him, card games, yeah. and <laughs> and uh, and so she, so he, as a, as he says, I'm just going to buy your washer and dryer, and he and he kind of said thanks for the publicity, and um, uh, that's the story. As you um, went through law school and um, you know made that decision, <clears throat> you're at the same time we're picking up more and more beach volleyball. Is that about right? Yeah. Yeah, I was playing indoors. Mm-hmm. I played for the, the West Side Jewish Community Center. Oh, yeah. I played uh, Selznick was, and Lang were mm-hmm. our setters. Uh, we had a very good team. We took uh, third in the Nationals one year. Mm. Um, I'm in law school, and um, which it was a four-year program. At, at nighttime, I had three jobs, two kids at the time. <laughs> so my life was, was a little bit... Um, chaotic to say the least but um my my indoor volleyball stopped one night because as, as you may or may not know when you get close the volleyball nationals are usually in may yeah and the closer you get the more you practice so we started practicing three or four nights a week uh like in mid-april um and after practice is over some guy said let's go get some pizza and a beer and so instead of getting home at 8 o'clock, I'd be getting home at 9.30, mm-hmm. 9.30 or 10. So one night I walked in the room in our house on Victoria, hmm. and 
Tina was sitting in a rocking chair with... Danny had been sick, and Danny was in her arms. No, Michael was sick. Danny was standing down. Uh, she was rocking. She's got Michael in her arms. I walked in the front door. She looked at me, and she just looked, and she said, Volleyball or me? <laughs> and walked in the bedroom with the kids. Mm. That was my nice. last. That okay. was my last volleyball. So then, so then, but beach volleyball fits into a little bit more of a family yeah, schedule because you can take the family with you correct. on the weekend. And you're on did. a beach. They're 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 occupied. And you're she, playing. And she loved it. She was a she was she was one of the reasons I actually played because I used to go watch her playing. She's playing with Ernie Sawara, mm-hmm. uh, and I've been going crazy over the th- things you do when somebody makes a good play. And and I'm in there, and I just worked and worked and worked. <laughs> And uh, uh, just to make sure I could play at her level. <laughs> nice. Um, tell me a little bit about passing the bar exam and getting your getting in, involved in, in being an attorney. And how did that, like, I would imagine there was a lot. So there's a lot of stress. A lot, a lot of stress. A lot of, yeah. lot of stress and pressure on you. You know, you, you, um, uh, you're in a room with, with, Depending on where you went, I went to Glendale Junior College mm-hmm. to take the exam, and there's you know 500, and the the I didn't type at those time and in those days, and and in those days there weren't computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happens when you go in these exams is you get the test. The question is, when are you reading it? And then all of a sudden, somebody will start typing an answer, and the typewriters in those days were noisy. Yeah. And then pretty soon, pretty soon you've got 150 typewriters going in. You're going, oh my God! I wrote the exam, and and you're trying to write and think at the same time while these typewriters are going crazy. Yeah, that's good. And it's a it's it's an amazing experience. Um, That's one I wouldn't want to have to do again. (laughs) Yeah. But it was, it, was, it was an amazing experience. Kind of steeled you, and and you took that same kind of competitive approach that you had in athletics. Um, into, in effect, being uh, an attorney? Yeah, I was a, uh, I wanted to be a trial lawyer. Again, I wanted to compete. I wanted to do something competitively. Mm-hmm. When I realized I couldn't play in the NBA, uh, I thought I could compete as a coach. And when I realized I really didn't want to do that, uh, I mean, I wanted to do it, but I didn't want to start at that lower level. I, mm-hmm. If I could have got a, a D1 job and, and, and uh, just gone from there, I, I would have probably done that. Um, so then I just said, maybe I'll try law school and I'll try being a trial lawyer. And, and, uh, I went, got my ticket, got a job, the only job I've ever had, never switched firms. At the time it was Waters and McCluskey or? Time, when I joined, it was Waters and McCluskey and Corcoran. I see. And then it became Waters, McCluskey and Bowley. Uh, and they're, they're civil. Civil. Yeah. And so you just dove right in. Dove right in. I tried my first case in about. I was there less than 12 months, and I'll tell another interesting story. Throw you right out. Uh, there was a top plaintiff's attorney who was who, who office on the same floor we did, and and I had, I've always been one, my philosophy in life has always been, understand your priorities, mm-hmm. deal with your priorities when it is a priority, but make time for yourself and your family. Mm-hmm. Don't let your job consume you to the point where you know you're you're 25 years into your job and your kids are out of school they've got their own families and you haven't yeah that's always been my philosophy and um so one day i went and played golf and i had a case with this this big time attorney i was actually 
uh, it was my then boss's case that I was working up on, working it up on, and and um, I went back to the office after golf at like 8:30 at night to get some work done, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> he saw me. He was a workaholic, and he saw me leaving the office at like 10 p.m. He's coming out of his office, and we run into each other. The next day, he offered me a job. Hmm. He offered me a job uh, because he thought that I was this workaholic kid that <laughs> works till 10 o'clock at night. I was going to be a perfect fit for him. And uh, I mentioned it to my then boss, and maybe that helped because they, they made me a partner in the firm. <laughs> they did. Two months later, I made wow. me a partner. Um, I wanted to um, bring something up uh, because it's um, it was it was like such an important time for me. But also, it's important that adults know that they're sometimes changing the perspective of a young person's life. So you used to be really kind to me because I was hanging out with your kids, Michael and Danny, and take me to various games here, there, and everywhere. I got to travel around with you. But more, most important, we went to Tempe. I think Arizona, Yeah. when LMU made the 1980 NCAAs. Jim McCloskey was on that team, and they played Arizona State, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it was awesome. We were hanging at the same hotel as a couple Some of the teams. Players, so it was like yeah. Ohio State and DePaul were there. And so they were in the pool with us. And to be like 14, 15 years old, and these massive guys, and they're they're just college kids. Yeah. You know, they were eating our pizza that you had bought for us and, and all of this. But I met like Clark Kellogg and Mark Aguirre. And these guys, and then to go to this big arena, and Byron Scott was on the team at Arizona State, and I knew who he was from Morningside, and I just was blown away at how exciting that was, and it really did just kind of open my mind to, wow, look at this. Like, this is big time, and, you know, it's just it was fun to be in that arena. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, it was incredible. Um, and, and to carry, although that team, I also went up to watch when they got to the final eight, and this is a little trivia question that, Oh, the 1990 team when they got to the final eight. Not a whole lot of people are going to pay much attention to this, but the game before Loyola played Arkansas, UNLV played Ball State, and with 24 seconds to go in the game, Ball State has the ball down by one. Mm. If Ball State makes that shot, they missed it, and UNLV ended up winning by three because they got the foul and made two free throws. Um LMU plays Ball State, and in my opinion, goes to the Final Four. And then goes to the Final Four. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that was something. So that was 1980 that I was talking about. No. And uh, as far as the... Oh, um, yes, yes, yes. yes. That was the year, like, UCLA made a run to the finals. That's right. Right? Um, But, um, so I was going to jump up. You're you're doing your thing. uh, Still playing a little bit. But we start, me and your son and uh, my buddy Ray, we start the Venice Backyard Championships in my backyard. And um, it's our first year, and you're coming just to watch. Correct. And um, uh, 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 there's an A player and a B player. And the A player, Gary Conley, his B player, walks out the back gate not to return. And he needs a partner. And so you jump in. Yeah, you made the mistake of putting two A players on the same same team. Yes. So. So... Not being an experienced uh, tournament director quite yet. <laughs> we threw two A players, and you rolled at the title. And um, someday we're going to have a uh, roundtable, 
and we'll make sure that you have to defend your title. We'll do that on the 50th anniversary or something. But more important, you know what I found out that day uh, or subsequently the weeks after is controversy is good for an event because yeah. everybody started talking and it just was you're getting a giggle out of it. But yeah. everybody started to talk and then it just kind of lit fire. And then from there, we were able to always reference it and keep building on it. And then expand it. And I want to back up because... I never got to finish that story, that was, which, which I think would be a great movie and a, a scene and yeah. a, a movie. And that was after we got arrested. <laughs> okay. After we got arrested, yeah. you know, I'm playing. I'm a junior, and Vietnam is 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 mm. upon us. And I get a notice to appear for a physical for the army. So, so this is mid sixties. This is uh, sixty four. Yeah, sixty four. So I, I it was. I said I had to be there Jeez. at seven a.m. So I, I drive down there, and I think I'm going to be the first guy there. And I get there, and there's 500 people already there for a physical exam. So I'm standing there, and this this guy comes down the stairs, and he has a, he has a microphone. And he says, anyone who's ever been arrested, follow the yellow line upstairs. So I'm listening. I was arrested. So I'm following the yellow line, and I get into a line. The line is from here out to your hedges. Okay. And, and as I get closer, I can hear the guy at the desk say, and his head never came up, last name first, date of arrest, and charge. And I'm listening to burglary, assault with a deadly weapon, um, um, uh, all, uh, what, what other crimes there was? I mean, every, you name it. Uh, attempted murder. And I'm <laughs> so now it's my turn, and I'm standing there, and I've got a flat top. I have my Loyola jacket on, Ed Letterman's jacket. <laughs> On and the head, his head never came up when he said last name first and I said Boldy Wayne he writes it down date of arrest this is July 1963 right then he says charge and I said possession he said cocaine I said no sir he said marijuana I said no sir he said um, what illicit drug was it son and I said none none I'm aware of he says well, well what and his head never came up what was it and I said alcohol he stopped he put his pen down he looked up at me. And he said, someone arrested you for the possession of alcohol? I said, yes, sir. He says, that's not what we're looking for. You go back down <laughs> stairs. That's a dead true story. You're like, well, actually, I was uh, making my date mule some illegal stuff. And, and someday I'll tell you the Troy Collier story, too, which <laughs> okay. which happened at LMU, which, you know, my my, my years, uh, I was all league as a sophomore. Mm -hmm. And in December of... And, and this is, I think this is an incredible story. In December, we fly to Utah to play Utah State. Mm -hmm. Utah State had the number one score. They were the number three team in the country. They had the number one leading score in the country on their team. His name is Wayne Estes. Okay. So w my car coach designed a defense where the guards would, would overplay the guard so they couldn't get to the outside. And he, they're can't, they can't get the ball to the, to the forward, to Wayne Estes, so they call timeout. And during the timeout, uh, Liddell Anderson, I think was the coach's name, he said to the center, Troy Collier, you go up and set a screen on the guard. Mm -hmm. Set a screen on the guard so the guard can get the ball to the outside to Wayne. So the first time they do this, my one of my best friends, who is our center, Mike Lawler, yells, mm -hmm. yells switch. So now he's got this six-foot uh, guard, and I've got this six-nine center. <laughs> yeah. And he's backing up into the paint, trying, and he's yelling, little man on me. 
Yeah. He's waving his arms. Like, but the guard can't see over Mike's six six arms, and he's trying to get, and he's backing up, backing up, and and the scouting report said he was a wimp, didn't like to be pushed around the center. I have both my arms on his back, and I'm pressing into his back like this with all of my 170 pounds, and I'm trying to keep him from getting down to where he's going to get a layup. And he feels the pressure finally, and he takes his right arm, and he goes like this, and he broke my nose, Ooh. broke my cheekbone, broke my zygomatic arch. Oh, jeez. I was on the floor. I swear, I've never seen that much blood in oh, Utah, goodness. <laughs> I'm laying on the floor. I'm laying on the floor, and I and the coach comes running out, and I said, "I can't breathe, I can't breathe." And he said, "Breathe through your mouth." <laughs> so I That's did. Good advice. I did. It's good advice. They take me to the training room. They hold the four guys hold me down. My nose was out here, and the and the trainer gets on top mm-hmm. of me, and I was crying, screaming, mm. and they set my nose. Uh, yep. And it popped open. And they said it twice, and it popped open. Mm. They packed it, and they flew me home that night. I had surgery the next day. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling you the story because Trollock Collier was a senior. Mm-hmm. All right? I was a, a junior. Okay. And um, he gets drafted by the Lakers to try out for the Lakers. Mm. So I plan this whole thing with my teammates <laughs> because the only guys allowed in the gym are us. I had guys guarding each door, and Frank O'Neill was a Laker trainer. So they're coming for practice. Laker trainer. He would set out their workout gear uh, by name. First, the so the rookies were all at the far end okay. of the locker room that I dressed in. So I I go down, and I find Collier's practice unit gear, and I put analgesic bomb in his jock. <laughs> I spread it in his jock. How did I know that was coming? Spread it in his jock. And myself and five of my teammates are now sitting in the stands watching practice. Um, who was the coach? The coach was... Sure? No. No, no, no. About Vandekoff? Nope. It was before uh, Butch Vandekoff. It was... Um, Frank O'Neill was the trainer. Schaus. Fred Schaus. Schaus, that's right. Schaus comes out and goes, all right, man, let's go. Layups. Now, as you know, analgesic bond doesn't begin to burn uh, until you start to sweat. You got to start to sweat. So they're running layups. They're running layups. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Troy Collier is grabbing his, his <laughs> loin, and he's going, oh, oh. And, and Shouse, Shouse blows the whistle, so practice is stopped. And he goes, Troy, what the hell's going on? What's the matter? And he says, Coach, my balls is on fire. <laughs> so, so. That's where Jerry Lee Lewis got it from. So, so Shouse says, what? He says, my ball. And then he reaches down. And grabs what he what he, he realizes is analgesic bomb. He thinks it's a rookie plank, oh. a prank, and he goes after. And, and Larusso is laughing. He goes after Larusso. Rudy Larusso. He throws yeah. he throws a punch with his right hand. Oh, look at what you started. He misses. Larusso hits him with a left. Oh, come on. And this guy goes down like a fallen tree, <laughs> like this. Kaboom. Like this. He's on the ground like you are. He's on the ground. Now, Larusso <laughs> is over him, and West and Baylor have got Larusso by the. They've got a hold of him, like, like don't, don't. And he was ready to hit him again, but he never did. And, yet, you know, have you ever seen a fighter get up when he's knocked out on his feet? He gets up, this and he's wobbling. And all of a sudden, he realizes his balls are on fire. <laughs> He takes off and he runs. 
in, you know, into our showers, into our showers, and our showers, uh, as he's running, Frank O'Neill says, Troy, Troy, don't put water, and he turns the shower on. Oh, boy. And it exacerbates the pain. That's So, <laughs> needless to say, I got even. You got even with him? With Troy Collier. That is, uh, he ended up playing for the Globetrotters. Did he, did he ever know this, that you that was no, you behind are you it? kidding? No. Oh, oh, oh we're going to hashtag No, I, I hope this doesn't come out. And it's gonna, he, he looks me up. Oh, we're hashtagging him. <laughs> we're hashtagging anal deletic bomb. We're hashtag balls on fire. Back to that team, because this is this is something that your fan base probably doesn't know but would 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 be would, would be shaking their heads and saying oh how sad so Wayne Estes is the leading scorer in the country mm-hmm. we play them and the following week he scores 35 points hmm. he's coming going home going home he's going home and as he's driving down the road he sees a car on fire in a snowstorm on the side of the road he jumps out of the car and walks into a wire, electrocutes himself, Ooh, and dies. Goodness. 20 years later, I'm in a Westwood with, t- with Tina, Yeah. and we're in this used bookstore. And I'm, I'm looking, I love bookstores, and I'm looking around, and I see this book, it's entitled uh, Weird Sport Stories. Yeah, I, lo- I, I love I, those things. I pick up the book, and I start, I go to the table of contents, and down about number six, it says the Wayne Estes story. Wow. This is 20 years later. So I, I go right to that chapter, and everything I'm telling you is dead honest true. Wow, that's Except wild. the one factor that was in there that I didn't know as to why this is a weird sports story. That day, the day he died, he was walking down the streets of Logan, Utah, walked into an insurance agency, and bought a $10,000 accidental Come death on. policy on himself. That day. Wild. And that's why it was in that book. Wow. That's a dead true story. I could see where that, they didn't want to pay <clears throat> off on this when they were like, oh, hmm, you're not going to go searching for a car crash, are you? Dead true. So wow, got, that's wild. Uh, it's unbelievable. Wayne Estes was his name. What, um, you know, I would imagine you had a few crazy cases. And uh-huh. um, and do and he just like popped your mind. Cause, so you, you, you go on to... What well, I will say is like an, a really an illustrious career. You're named one of the top lawyers in the country. You've really had a lot of right. success. People don't even want to get into um, court with you because you have such an outstanding record. But I would imagine along the way you had some quirky ones oh, or some wild well, ones. I, I, I could write a book of the things that, I, <laughs> that I've seen. Uh, this is the new book you don't happened. have to read. and you could just. But the only great. people who would, who would enjoy it would be lawyers, so they probably wouldn't buy it. But, um, yeah, no, I've had a number of. Of crazy cases, uh, a couple that comes to mind. I tried a case in Fresno. I was up there for three and a half months, mm-hmm. and against one of the top attorneys in in San from San Francisco, and the judge he had forty cases, and the judge said, "Pick your best case, and we'll try this one, and then the other thirty nine will hopefully fall into place." Okay. And it was a it was a hydroelectric plant that was being built up in the mountains, and there was a they were driving these trucks called dumpies, and and the vibrations from these trucks were causing all kinds of back injuries and other injuries, kidney injuries, and et cetera, et cetera. So we're trying this case, and this man had the biggest ego um, of, of any lawyer I've ever met. And the bottom line is is um, we get to the argument, the jury, the final argument. And in those days, you know, you didn't have all this stuff you have today. Everything you wrote down, you wrote it down on a, 
on a piece of sheet of paper and they teach you that because the last thing the plaintiff's attorney does is he puts the amount up give me five million dollars and they teach you to just cover that when you get up to give your argument he goes first then you go oh i see so you get up to the finish so that it's like a big notepad so the jury's not looking at it so during his argument he gets up and he walks over to the jury and he says ladies and gentlemen when i was a young man growing up in montana i had to go to a, a one building schoolhouse grades one through 12 and sometimes in the winter i'd have to walk a mile and a half in the snow and sometimes my friend and i would sneak out of class and we would climb up on the top of the building and there was a um the, the stovepipe that came up from the, from the chimney from from down below that heated the school we would bring a bag of rocks and we would throw the rocks down the chimney and the rocks would go clunk 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 but you could never hear him hit the ground he walks over he puts a finger in my face and he said my worthy opponent mr Bowley, reminded me of that story everything he's done in this case clunk clunk <laughs> clunk but nothing has hit the ground now i'm sitting there and i'm super competitive as you know and and i got to figure how am i going to get even what am i going to do now it's my turn you can't do the gel story you can't do that no no <laughs> That, that no, that wouldn't work. Well, they also teach you that if you ask if you ask a jury a question, and you don't get them to respond, if you're not getting nodding or shaking the head, uh-huh. you just forget it and move on. Okay. So I said, ladies and gentlemen, I, what I'm about to say has nothing to do with this case. I said, but because my my opponent mentioned something that also had nothing to do with this case, I said I thought I should comment on it. I said, do you remember his story about him walking in the snow to school? And I get three or four of my jurors going like this. Mm-hmm. So I know I've got him. So I go on. I said, well, again, that had nothing to do with the case except to maybe engender some sympathy for him having to walk a mile and a half. I said, however, I said, uh, Mr. V, I, walk, I walked over to his exhibits and I flipped over to one of the jury um, uh, instructions, 2.30, at the time it was preponderance of the evidence was mm-hmm. the name of the instruction. And I walked over and I put my finger in his face. I said, Mr. Veen, Mr. Veen, I said, perhaps if you hadn't snuck out of class so often, <laughs> you would have learned how to spell preponderance. <laughs> yes. He put it down, down The jury cracked up. <laughs> they cracked up laughing. This man had such a huge, uh, huge um, uh, ego that he got up in his rebuttal and he said, I didn't do the exhibits. My associate did them. So anyway, the last <laughs> story. scapegoated real that, quick. That that was uh, uh, that was one. There's been some embarrassing moments in my career as a lawyer, um, but um, interesting cases, crazy cases. I had a case one time where, where I, um, someone from the Middle East, had brought their father out and was trying to teach him how to drive. Mother, mother, how to drive down Santa Monica Boulevard. And, Good place. And down Santa Monica Boulevard. Good place to learn. And the car ends up going across two lanes, going eastbound on Santa Monica Boulevard, into a construction, over a curb, into a construction fence, down into a ditch where there now exists a giant office building. And they were suing the construction company for not having a strong enough barrier to keep the, keep the car <laughs> I'm going down into the fence because because this is because this is a driving yeah. yeah I mean it's practice it, it, lane every yeah every every driving <laughs> practice lane and and of course if they had put up a concrete wall then the guy and he didn't die he was seriously injured but he did not die 
Oh, my goodness. So I've had a number of crazy cases. You had, um, along the way, four kids, of course, Mike, Danny, Chrissy, and Jenny, and 12 uh, grandchildren now. I thought one thing that's really unique was um, Mike, who, uh, you know, Mike and Danny, who I, of course, grew up with, but Mike having three boys, your three uh, grandkids, all on the same uh, Division One volleyball team at the same time. And UCSB. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that wild? That was great. First time in the history of the sport. I would imagine, right? I, I don't never, even know. Never, I don't even know that anybody's thought to no, research something never, like never that. Never happened. First of all, you got to have kids banged back to back to back, real quick. That's number one. <laughs> That's, yeah. And uh, and then second of all, they all have to be good enough to be able to play. Of course. D1 volleyball. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Um, now I wanted to move a little bit into um, some of the uh, I- items on the Hank Gathers case. Because we were there the other day and watched um, the statue get put up. Um, it was really a magical time at Loyola. That, that season, those seasons. Those actually, w- w- Westhead was there for like five years. And he, and he had a good team most every year, Coach Paul Westhead. Yeah, yeah, they were they were... Uh, representative, but obviously not as as good as they were when when he had his system and he had the right players to run it. He had the right players, yeah. Um, and his system was something else. Yeah, I mean, Very would, you, would you have liked to play in that kind of system? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Now I was a real good defensive player, mm-hmm. and I one of the re- I was smart. One of the reasons I played, I could shoot, and I was a good defensive player. wasn't a good ball handler, but uh, I could shoot. And this was this was no zero defense. Right, they were so, encouraging you to score quickly right. so that you would tire out. That's right. And they yeah. did all their training right in, uh, on the dunes of Manhattan Beach That's there. Right. right, where they could they could have got caught for holding beer <laughs> down in that area if they were yeah. if they were as careful. As they don't put it in the purse yeah. of their girlfriend. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so they're in tremendous shape, and and that's really exciting. And Gersten Pavilion is is selling some tickets, and they're putting Correct. up big numbers. So, I mean, there's a lot going on there, and um, and and. When, when Hank ha- had those problems, it wasn't too public that you, you definitely knew that, you know, you didn't know that he had had that. I guess it was in the news, but I know when he died, it obviously the rest of the country oh, yeah. went, wow. Um, and then for, you know, Bo to shoot those free throws left-handed and for the team to, you know, go on and still have victory throughout. I mean, that was a really, you know, emotional time. So I could imagine once the family went to look for damages against the school, that was a downer yeah it was um uh, it was not unexpected mm-hmm. um but certainly because of the love the school had for hank and and vice versa you know don't forget he had spent one or two years at usc mm-hmm. both he and, and, and kimball both mm-hmm. and for some whatever reason they were not Either they didn't fit into that program, or yeah. they didn't like. I think they changed where the coaches, program was going. Or something. They did yeah. change because they had their their friend from Philadelphia, who at one time was an assistant coach at Loyola. I can't remember his name. Mm-hmm. He actually brought him out here. It was all Philadelphia connection. Westhead's Philadelphia guy. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And yeah. That so that's what made the landing spot at LMU work for those two. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. It was a it was a it was a good fit. Mm-hmm. And then, um, um, the other players that. That Paul had recruited. I mean, Jeff Fryer made a living off of shooting threes, wide open threes. Um, and uh, the, the the other guard who came in is Terrell Lowry. Mm-hmm. Terrell Lowry was Lowry. on that team, and one of my best, one of my teammates' sons was on that team. But he was a redshirt; he did not play mm. that year. 
Brian McCloskey, who ended up playing the next year, um, he was on that team also. So it was fun to go to. I had season tickets. I was not there in December when he had the sinkable episode. I had given those tickets, ironically, to um, my, my high school teammate that I was talking about earlier, Tom uh-huh. McPherson. He, his son, uh, both of his sons went to LMU to play tennis. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so I'd given my season seats to him for that game. And his youngest son has a, a little heart anomaly. Mm. And Hank goes down on the floor in December. In December. Oh, wait a minute. I'm wrong. He was there the night he died. Whoa. The, the December tickets I'd given to somebody else. Some, somebody else. He was but, there in but, March. But Hank had that episode in December, I think, at Gersten, right? That's correct. And with Ger- in Gersten Pavilion um, is his name. And then... Um, but this, when Hank died, was in the conference championship game, I think? No. Semifinals it was, or something? It was in the quarter quarter or semifinals against, I believe, Portland. Yeah, um, Eric Spolstra <laughs> was on Portland's team. I think Isn't that was wild? Against, yeah, against, yeah, against Portland. Yeah. And um, uh, what, what uh, 90% of the public doesn't know is when Hank went down in December, mm-hmm. they took him out of the game. Sat him down, took him back to the locker room, and couldn't figure. He could really, they realized his heart rate was up, but didn't realize what was the cause. They put him through um, a battery of tests to the point where they advised the school that he cannot play anymore because they could not determine what the defect was. And when I say that, I say it because. His heart rate was incapable. They were incapable of getting it up high enough on stress treadmills, on running around a track mm-hmm. to see where the defect in his heart was. They couldn't. They couldn't. They, I see. He was in such phenomenal I, condition. He, was, he would. He would like condition before games and stuff. He was. He in, was in phenomenal condition. Incredible condition. Yeah. And they couldn't. They couldn't do it. So he wasn't going to get to play. And okay. that, that was the initial decision of the medical. I see. The medical staff. Okay, so this leads up to um, what may or may not have been all kinds of things. He may or may not have taken the medication, um, so on and so forth. But once he does die, I think the family has four major charges. And they had, um, was it Bruce Fagel? He was their attorney. He, 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 um, I looked at his um, Facebook site. He yeah. looked like an interesting guy. Interesting guy. Yeah, former, he's a doctor and a lawyer. Wow. It's a doctor and a lawyer. Right. Okay. So the gathers, um, Sue claimed that, one, that Wes had induced Hank's doctors to reduce Hank's dosage of Enderol. Two, the doctors did not properly monitor the effects of gathers on the lower dosage. Three, that the Loyola Marymount team doctor, school doctor, team trainer waited too long to administer life-saving procedures after he collapsed. And four, that perhaps gathers should not be playing basketball at all. So those are... That's is that the, those, about right? Those those are the allegations in the in the complaint, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, those are the ones that we had. To, uh, some of those obviously were uh, I was representing the school, mm-hmm. the coach, the athletic director who was my teammate, right, and the trainer, and Chip Schaefer. Chip Schaefer. I, I had all was those, Chip Schaefer the one who played at Pally? No, different one. Okay, no, right. different different Schaefer. Okay, and, but he was the he was the Boston Celtic trainer. Oh, wow. Chip Schaefer. Okay. And also Laker trainer. Wow. Chip Schaefer. And then uh, Brian Quinn, athletic director at the school, but he was a teammate of yours from Correct. back in the day? I was a sophomore. He was a senior. Okay. And I t- actually t- I taught him how to play volleyball. Mm-hmm. He turned out to be a good volleyball player. 
Um, so, and, and what, what were the particulars when they were filed a $32.5 million lawsuit or something? That's correct. Okay. $32.5 million. Um, and what surfaces after the, the uh, unfortunate death of Hank Gathers is a child mm-hmm. that nobody knew anything about. His name was Aaron Crump, I Aaron believe. Crump. Mm-hmm. That's right. And he was six years old. And Hank was 23, 23. Yeah. So he had yeah. this kid at 17. Right. Nobody knew about him. So now he surfaces <laughs> as an heir, and he gets in the lawsuit with another Philadelphia lawyer. Now, Westhead's, Westhead's friend, one of his best friends, college team, uh, college classmate was a guy named Richie Phillips. Okay. Richie Phillips was the uh, Major League Baseball umpire's lawyer. Oh, yeah. that's He was okay. always in all those big arbitrations. And I would be getting, I'd get calls from Richie Phillips <laughs> at four in the morning, our time. Right, because he's, he's getting, at seven o'clock in, yeah. in Philadelphia. <laughs> And he'd yell and scream about, you got to get Westhead out of this case. you got to do this. you got to do that. And, fi- and he'd start swearing on the phone. And I, funny, I'd hang up on him. I'd say, Richie, I'm not going to talk to you. You're going to talk like this. And it got down to where one day we had a three-way call. And, and, I, and, and I will never forget this. I said, Richie explained what he thought should be done. I explained to Paul what I thought should be done and how. And Paul had to make a decision, and he chose to go my way. Okay. And I, and Richie's now he Richie has passed on, but he actually got fired from the if I remember correctly, from the Major League Baseball part of the steroid stuff. I don't know what it was what it was about, but I remember. Yeah. He was their lawyer for a long time. Yeah, a long time. Yep. And okay. uh, so the case had a whole lot of tangents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the medication was one thing. Uh, the issue of Paul. Westhead telling them, uh, calling the doctor to change medication. I can, I can tell you what happened there if you want to hear sure. that. What happened was, he he was put on a program. Hank was, mm-hmm. and and the contract because he had to sign a contract that he would abide by this was, he would wear a heart monitor during the week of practice, okay. and then on Fridays he would go in for some sort of a test. Contract was with the doctor? With uh, with uh, Daniel Freeman okay. and Michael Melman and one other physician's name I can't recall. Mm-hmm. That he agreed to do this and the school agreed to do it. Mm-hmm. That they would get him you know, to to the doctor's office. So this is going along. This happens in December. So roughly... First incident in December. So it's like January, r- roughly, February. Roughly, no, not even that late. Mm. Roughly in December after they had figured out what they could do to get him to play. Mm-hmm. Um, he signs his contract. And everything is going along okay. And what the deal was, they put him on a dosage of medication that made him like a 13-year-old kid, lethargic. Couldn't move. You know, he wasn't fast. He was, But it was, it was the effects of the medication. Indrol. So, I, I don't even remember whether it was Indrol or not. Okay. But at the end of the week... What they were doing was they were they had a test, which I know nothing about, but they had a test that would allow them to reduce the medication. Mm. So um, the objective was to observe these test results and get to a point where, because once they knew where the defect was, which they finally 
figured out through a test that that um, off the record I'll tell you about. Mm-hmm. Um, um, once they figured out what his problem was, they needed to get to a point where it was a non-lethal issue with the right dosage of medication. Got it. So they kept reducing it, reducing it. They had a trip. It was a very important trip for Hank Gathers. They went back to Philadelphia. Yeah. They played St. Joseph's and Villanova. Two schools, his hometown, everybody was there to see him, and he was awful. He was awful. I kind of remember that. He was awful. He he came in the locker room after the game, after one of the games, and sort of grabbed lockers, was throwing lockers on the ground, was screaming and yelling, and this is a part of a public record, and he, he yelled out, I ain't taking no more fucking medication mm. in front of Westhead. <clears throat> so, mm-hmm. that night, Westhead calls the doctor. And as you know, doctor's notes, they have notes, and these notes came during the pendency of the litigation or became an issue, and they were discussing... Um, what the doctor, Melman, I think it was Melman, had written as to what West had said. West had called him and said, Doc, I, I can't play him. He's not, he's like a 13-year-old kid with this with the medication he's on. Can we, can we change the medication? Now, and I, and I may not be quoting his exact words, but what, what he meant by that was, is there something different that we can give them sure. that's going to make them a better player. And and the doctor's response was, if we were to do that, he'd have to start all over again uh-huh. at a higher dosage. So no, we're, going to, we're leaving it right where it is. And of course, they, they pick up on that where the coach was demanding that they change the medication yeah, uh, or, or take him off the medication, and, which was coach. not true. He's not, a, he's not a doctor. Which was not true. So, um, um, you know, I guess only... You know, God knows what really happened mm-hmm. that day, but uh, the experts, the experts were um, of the opinion that had the medication continued to be taken, mm-hmm. this would not have happened. I see. So he, more than likely. Oh yeah, but I what I, did, I really didn't get into the juicy part of the story, which is what cost uh, one of the doctors one million dollars, and that was this. His treating doctor was a, a, a guy that I know. He's a, actually a good golfer. His, na- uh, his name was Hattori. He was the heart. He was the heart guy. And Did he beat Jerry West in golf. No. Okay. No. <laughs> oh, now he might be able to. So, um, Friday comes, and Hank doesn't show up for the test at at the hospital. The Friday before the conference tournament, or. <laughs> No, they played Friday like, and Saturday. Okay. It was Friday, Saturday, oh, Sunday. Oh, yeah. So he, he doesn't show up for the test on Friday, which is part of the contract. Mm-hmm. The hospital, or the doctor, calls and says he can't play. Mm. Westhead gets the phone call and calls Hank in the office uh, Saturday morning. Calls him in and says, Hank, what the hell is going on? You can't play tonight. He says, what do you mean I can't play tonight? He said, you didn't go in for the test yesterday. You've been doing it all these weeks, and now all of a sudden, he said, I was so busy, Coach, I had things going on. And he said, Hank, you can't He says, I'll take the test right now. Call him. I'll go shoot over there, and I'll take it right now. Calls the hospital. 
hospital says all of our technicians that run mm. this test, whatever it was, are gone. And uh, if you want to do it, we have to bring in another whole unit, and it's going to cost the school about $30,000. And there's no way the school is going to pay for that. Right. So Westhead said, is there any way that we can be, he says, let's get a hold of his of his heart surgeon. So they get a hold of the doctor, the heart surgeon, and he is leaving for Palm Springs for a bachelor party and a wedding. Who's leaving for that? The doctor. Okay. All right? Okay. And well, well, Hank got out there too. Hank, Hank begs him, you know, you got to clear me to play. you got to clear me to play. And he says, let me look at your previous week's tests. Oh, boy. So he looks at the previous week's tests. I see. And he, and he says, and this is what cost him $1 million. He said, <laughs> this is on the record. I'm going to be out of town. I'll have my, my assistant. It's the guy that you need to call if you need to call him because I'm out of town this weekend. I'm leaving. He said, but if you feel your heart start to race oh, during the game, take yourself out of the game. Oh, right. Like that's now, believe it or not, believe it or not, because I lived with this for years, it's, it's, it was sound medical advice. It, it, it was okay. Based on the testing and based on him taking the medication, okay. it was okay to say that. But as a result of that, uh, he ended up uh, wow. paying $1 million. And um, what about to the point that the um, <clears throat> care given at Gersten was, was you know, substandard? Or... Yeah, it was... Um, there was a few sides in that, issues on that as to what what do we do, how do we do it, when do we do it. This was all discussed after the first syncopal episode back in back in uh, December. Mm-hmm. And it was decided, and probably rightfully so, and if I'm not mistaken, the medical evidence was it, it would the, the time that it took to get from the gym to the to the um, uh, training room mm-hmm. to administer the defibrillator. Is that where the defib was in yes. the training room? Yes. Time to get there would not have made a difference. Hmm. That was the that's my recollection of what the hmm. testament. Now, of course, plaintiff was going to argue differently, but the decision and the, people don't think about this. The decision, if I'm not mistaken, there were the night he passed away. There were at least two other minor issues with people having fainting spells or from observing him on the floor. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Okay. So their their thought process was if we paddle this guy in the middle of the of the basketball court and you see, you know, and it's a you know, you see a body, the body jumps, it's a you're going to have you know, of the 3 3500 people that were there. That's going to escalate. You're going to have you're going to have other and issues. So everybody was trained and stuff because I know yeah. I know even that uh, that Chief eventually Schaefer. I don't know whether it was that case, but that certainly brought notoriety, but even when I was an athletic director in high school, we had to go through that same training, know how to use what was in effect a carryable defib machine. Defibrillator, yeah. yeah. No, and and Chip Chip trainer Chip Schaefer was trained in in the use of that um, uh, uh, medical piece of equipment. And I found that interesting that that the family was like we were traumatized by the way they carried him off the floor, 
And I thought, how else, you know, are you going to carry him off the floor? You're not going to bring a tent out and, and a golf cart. Yeah, it was it was it was a sad thing. The family, I think, eventually reconciled with the school with Westhead. Yeah, you know, they look during the litigation phase. They have to do what is yeah. in their is in their best interest. But we had videotapes of his mother holding up signs during the course of the game go Hank Hank you're the best and her testimony was she told Westhead she didn't want him to play mm. please don't play my son yeah that's I, I don't I don't want to and, and that's that's part of the it's part of it the legal legalistics of, uh, of of how and 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 I and I get it I understand it you know it's an it's a thought one thing I've learned in 48 years of practicing law before I became a mediator thing I've learned is is the mind is an amazing thing. Two people can look at a at an accident site, non-party witnesses, and see the same thing, but yet testify completely differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's um, and the more the amazing. stories told, the more that may come to light and then be remembered as real. Correct. Correct. And so it expands, and then sometimes you don't have the real facts. But where I was going with that point was, the more you convince yourself that's what you saw, the more inflexible you become, even when it becomes obvious that you didn't see it correctly. Mm-hmm. You just, you just, you stand by your, by your principles. You stand by what you saw, what you observed, and uh, it, um, it's, it's amazing. School was. Um, Thirty-two point five was what the family was looking for, and I think the school's insurance company picked up five hundred forty-five thousand. That wouldn't, kind of wouldn't very that, much. I, right? I can, if you want to hear the story, be sure. the backstory on that. They fly me up to San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I'm meeting with all the prefects, all the insurance people, all the excess insurance people. There's probably fifteen people in the room, and I spent, and I spent forty-five minutes trying to convince them to let me vindicate the school. Yeah, you said, but on a personal level, I would have liked my clients vindicated by a jury right? because I believe they would have been. I wanted to vindicate the school, the coach, the athletic director, and the trainer, and I thought I could do that. Um, and um, they asked me what it would cost to vindicate the school, and I gave them a number. I forget what the number was. I'm, uh, I probably said something like $1.6 million. And they said, what can you get, what can you resolve this case for? And I said, I would hope I could resolve it somewhere between four and $700,000, mm-hmm. which is about half of what it's going to cost them to be vindicated. Yeah. They met for about 40 minutes. I sat out and then they called me back in and they said, we are in the process of trying to raise eighty to $100 million for, for buildings that are now built. <laughs> in the last 30 years. We don't want the adverse publicity. Your job is to get the case settled. So I did. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. <clears throat> um, and uh, it took 30 years, um, but there seemed to be a lot of love uh, all around the uh, statue being unveiled. Um, Mom had a very emotional moment in front of the uh, statue, but then the family, you know, took the picture, and it certainly is a beautiful statue. Same... Um, same artist or sculptor that did the Elgin Baylor one at Staples. Oh, is that right? Yeah. It it, has it's, a, a, it's a picture of him holding a ball in one hand, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, a statue. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> so it's 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 really uh, it's beautiful. And um, then the team was recognized during halftime. Um, the team that was playing wore the throwback uniforms, which was kind of fun to see those unis out on the court. Oh, they did. Yeah. Oh, cool. that was kind of fun to see that. And then they lost. They lost to you. They did. Lost my two. Two points. Yeah. Um, and Gersten, I found. I don't remember it being. Uh, I forgot that I, one side is like <coughs> basically the red. And then the other side is blue. So everything up on the wall on this side, even the banners are all blue. And everything up on the wall and everything over here is red. It kind of it's got a nice aesthetic to it. Yeah, that looks nice. And they're and they're in the process of raising money too. Um, I don't believe they're going to be building a new gym. I don't know if we have the space, but I think they're going to expand this one somehow, some way. Gersten the second, I guess it was Gersten the first, who the gym was named after, and. Gersten the second Gersten, right. was he like friendly with um, Hank or something? Because I saw him in the paper a lot. Very much so. Yeah, friendly with uh, most of the kids on the team. Did that create problems for the athletic department? It 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 didn't it didn't because it it really never came to light as to um, whether he violated any of the ethical hmm. rules of okay. um, of you know giving gifts where they weren't supposed to be given. Um, so that never really, never really materialized. Okay. Uh, his depot was taken. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, there are so many depots taken in that case. Um, That's, it's it's nothing new in in collegiate athletics for for a booster for boosters to be involved. It just was. I found it interesting when I kept seeing the name Gersten pop up because I I thought maybe not so much the guy who put the, put up the money for the gym. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's uh, and and he did put the money up for the gym, a large yeah. portion of it. That's why the the, the gym yeah. is named after him. Yeah. Um, okay. Last uh, one thing, and then you got to answer a series of questions, Wayne, no because problem. you're going to be on the stand pretty soon here. Good. Okay. Good. Um, but can you tell me a little bit about? You've been a longtime member of the LA Athletic Club. I found it very um, exciting that the U.S. Open's coming that way. No, no, I've never been a member of the LA Club. No, never? Los Angeles Country Club. I, I'm sorry. Different facility. So I, I, yeah, you know why? I wrote my notes to me, LA Athletic Club, because of how much I go there, because it's an AAU thing. That's right. And so the, the Los Angeles the, Country the, Club. By the way, the, I think the Hathaways are the ones who own the LA Athletic Club. They also hmm. owned at one time Riviera Country Club, the golf course. That was their yeah, country. Yeah, and then they sold that. The Japanese, I think, have bought the, the Riviera Country Club. So, yeah, the Los yes. Angeles Country Club Miss, is, is, is but, where but, I play uh, golf. Uh, L.A. Uh, Country Club. Right. And um, uh, I've gone out there a couple times with you. had awesome time. But um, I found it really interesting because I remember they're always very private, if you will. But now they're, they're going to host the U.S. Open. Do you know how that came to be? I sure do. Uh, when I joined there in 1980, mm -hmm. every single year, the PGA would come and ask to get a turn and it would be voted down. I am now the old guard. I was the young guard back in 1980, and as a as a as as an old guard, um, they didn't want it. Didn't want the publicity. Didn't want people to know anything about the course. And of course, times have changed, and the and attitudes have changed. And the young guard is now the old guard. Uh, loves the idea of people seeing our course and seeing and, and yeah. as as a uh, we had the Walker Cup there. Right, which was right, held right. just a couple of years ago, and as a kind of like a test to see how it went down. Now that's not as as widely known, obviously, as the U.S. Open, but then the board voted uh, to approve this. Now, uh, just as a side note, uh, if we had to vote again, I think I would vote against it 
Is it going gonna to take your Tuesday golf date gonna, away? It's going to. It's going to tie up our golf course for much longer mm. than anybody even dreams mm. that it's going to uh, it's going to do. But I, the curiosity, the 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 intrigue, yeah, for me is to see what they score on the course that's U.S. Open. That to me is fascinating. You know, that that that's going to be great. And also, it for it's almost like um, getting to see behind the curtain for the rest of the country because you hear about. <laughs> The Los Angeles Country Club, but not everybody yeah. has got a chance to really see. It's what it looks it's like. ranked number. I mean, for a course that's over a hundred years old, it's ranked um, like number sixteen in the country. Yeah, and uh, there's no water on it. There's water hazards, but there's no water that's unless right. it rains. Unless it rains, that's so right, it's, it's that's an right. interesting. It's an interesting. It's an interesting course. A design course, and you can play. It's going to play seventy five hundred yards, and I believe. That if they, if they cut the fairways in, which they're going to do, um, and they speed up the greens, which they're going to do, that the scoring is not going to be uh, as as easy as as people think it's going to be because this is that's in the course. tradition of the U.S. Open too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's going to be great. So I'm, I'm predicting, I'm predicting four to five under wins the tournament. Okay. So nice. You, you All right. That. Yeah, I'm going to tag that one. Um, so we talked about your boy, Mike, uh, right. being a very successful volleyball coach um, at Loyola High School, having won, I forget, the six section titles, I think. Six, four, six, four, state, four, four state. five states. Yeah. Um, now, your boy, Danny, has had his share of success at the L.A. Um, Country Club. Yeah. very. Right? He's a, he turned out to be a very good golfer. And... Um, could he beat Jerry West? He could no. probably beat Jerry West. Today. Oh, okay. Now the re- revenge has a he sweet taste. Today. Okay. You know, you know, Jerry is a uh, an interesting guy. He's a very good friend of mine, and he's a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And at one time in his in his life, he was a plus three, mm. which is a real good golfer. Really good. He actually quit playing for six years. Never touched a club mm. because. He could not deal with shots that weren't going where he wanted them to go, and and uh, uh, it's it's fascinating because now he plays the game for fun, mm-hmm. and he's much much better mm. at it. Uh, you know, he gave me a copy of his book West by West. Oh, it's unbelievable! But I, I couldn't read it. I started. It's it's rough. I couldn't read it. I didn't I didn't want to know about the demons when when he, when he was young. Geez. Yeah. So I did. I didn't read the book. I read. So twenty pages of it, and said, "I don't, I don't, I don't need mm. to read this." But um, I, I see him probably two or three times a week. He, um, when when I told you about that time, he came to Archer, and uh, he was so forthright. I, I, you know, the plan was I was going to interview him and ask him some questions. So I read the book and so forth, and but he goes, "I wrote some notes," and so I wasn't involved much at all. But I sat there fascinated <coughs> because he he spoke so much from the heart about what it was growing up like he did, you know, dealing with depression, yeah. all the parts of his life. Yeah. He was so forthright and, and transparent. It was fascinating to watch these young people who were really in, in the area to watch him because their dads and their grandfathers went, Jerry West is coming. Oh, you know, right. Yeah. But anyways, um, but he's it, such a wonderful, if you're a friend of his, he'll give you the shirt off his back if, if, in time of need. And, you know, if I, if, you, if I ever needed him to sign anything and, and just bring it in, no problem. He's if he if he's a friend of yours, uh, he's a friend for life. And I will tell you one, if I can, tell you one Jerry West story, which which is which is a funny story. 
we're playing golf at LA on the South Course, and we're playing two guys from playing two people from um, from Bel Air, and we're playing for a substantial sum of money. That Sunday, the day before, we played on a Monday. This day before, the one and only time in the history of golf, mm-hmm. a PGA Tour player won a tournament putting one-handed. Okay. I don't remember this. His name is Mike Holbert. You can look that up. Okay. The only golfer ever to win a PGA tournament putting one-handed. Now, Jerry and I were playing these two golfers from, from Bel Air on the south course at L.A., and I got a number of shots. One of the other persons got another shots, and then Jerry and this other person were close. <clears throat> anyway, we, we get in the first hole, and Jerry knocks it on the green. He's 15 feet from the pin. He misses the putt. He gets in the cart, and we're driving to the second tee, and he goes, I can't make a putt. God damn it. I, I, I can't make a putt. I, I, I'm going to putt one-handed. <laughs> this is on the first hole. This is after one hole. After one hole. And I said, Jerry, I said, you're fine. Don't worry about it. We'll be fine. So from then until the 18th tee, he threatened to putt one-handed eight times after missing birdie putts. And we get to the 18th hole, and the match is dead even, and the winner is going to win like four or $500. Okay. So uh, we're dead even. I get a shot on that hole, and one of the other persons gets a shot. I get up and I hook it out of bounds onto Wilshire Boulevard. (laughs) So I'm done. You're done. So it's a jury against the two of them. He hits a great drive. He he knocks his, well, the other guy hits a ball much shorter than Jerry, lays up short of the green. He gets a stroke. The other person knocked it in the trap, left it in the trap, left it in the trap, picked up. So now it's the stroker against Jerry. The stroker's on the green, 30 feet from the pin, lying three. Mm-hmm. Jerry's on the green, thirty feet, five feet from the pin, lying two. So if they both two putt, we end up tying. He puts one handed on the last hole. Got a feeling he knocked it in, didn't he? Four putted. <laughs> so we lose, we lose, we lose. We I take him out to the parking lot. He opens his trunk. He takes his clubs off. He puts his clubs in his trunk. And I go, hey, I go, hey, Jer. And he goes, yeah. And I said, I said, Mr. Clutch, my ass. <laughs> and he said, screw you, and got in the car and, and, and drove off. Uh, and that's a dead true story. I love it. Um, I got him, the day he showed up that day was the Golden State Warriors, who he was consulting for, had won the 70th, 72nd game, 73rd game. To break the regular season record, they broke the Bulls' record for most wins. Oh yeah! Um, but it was also the morning <coughs> after, and so he came back from San Francisco, and it was the morning after Kobe's last game had when dropped sixty, and so he he came. I, and by the way, I was at Kobe's game when he you got were? eighty-one. Oh, eighty-one! You read there. that game? I was oh, there. Oh man! Now that one, they had to come from behind and I everything. Was there. Oh, that team was awful. Um, Toronto, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was. They, Toronto. Um, and Jerry West goes. 50 he got he got 50 shots he goes you give me 50 shots i drop 90 easy <laughs> well crack me up people don't i mean you know because he's a real good friend of mine and, and i think he's one of the best ever to play the game two things i would say about his 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 playing level as opposed to his managerial level but because he has skills there too mm-hmm. no no one evaluates talent yeah, better sure than does. this man um but 
if you look at films of him playing, he could bounce the ball with his with one hand, right hand, and move it to his left and back again and go up faster than any human being mm-hmm. I've ever seen and get open. He played, you know, his second year in the NBA, he averaged 27 points a game, no three-point shot. No three-point yeah. shot. No three-point shot. I mean, he would have been close to one of the top scores, four yeah. scores if they had a three-point line. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. He, what, what was it, uh, 59, I guess, or something? West Virginia lost. He lost with them in the finals, the NCAA, and he's just like, not a day, I don't think about it. And But he got MVP there, and then he also got MVP of a series. Yeah. Only yeah. losing player. Correct. To ever get, get NBA, NBA. And, and, I, and I think in college too, which shows how much people thought of him. Well, here's a trivia question for you. In the history of basketball, everybody knows that the only player ever to score 100 points in an NBA game was Will Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. There has been one player to score 100 points in a college basketball game. Oh, was it that Rick Mount or something nope, like that? Nope. The guy in Indiana? No, nope, no. Nope. And he was a teammate of Jerry West on the Lakers. Imhoff? No. Nope. Who? Furman Frank Sylvie. Scored, oh. scored a, he went to Furman University. Furman. Scored 100 points in a college basketball wow. game. And Nobody knows about that. No one, no, no one. That's a, That's one of my best trivia questions. <laughs> that is a good one. <laughs> Nobody knows that because normally I can get those. <laughs> All right, here we go, Wayne. Yeah. You're in the chair. I'm in the chair. Here it comes. All right. Do I have to Best tell the of, truth? Yep, you do. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So <laughs> whatever, though, God? whatever. Okay. You know, don't let the, don't let a you know uh, the, a myth get in the way of a good story. All right. Um, best opposing player you ever competed against? Do I, do I have to guard him, or is this on the court? <laughs> yeah, you're on the court with him. Okay. I uh, probably I would say um, one of two, either. One of three, either Erwin Muller mm-hmm. for USF, Ollie Johnson mm. at USF, mm-hmm. uh, or John Rudimetkin uh, at USC. Best uh, teammate you ever had? Best teammate I ever had would have been, um, I've had a number. I, I'm going to say two, one of two. I'm going to say um, uh Ken Peterson or Brian Quinn or Detroit Flanagan, one of those three. <laughs> Detroit, three. I like those guys named after a city. Most memorable comeback you remember uh, playing? Um, most memorable comeback in high school was against El Segundo at our gym. And we were down by like 12 points, came back, uh, came back, and with 18 seconds to go in the game. They threw the ball to me in the corner, and I went up to shoot it. We were up by one, and the coach was yelling, No! No! (laughs) And I shot it, and it went in, and he said, At a baby. (laughs) My most memorable comeback. (laughs) Nice. Um, On that note, I'll say it because uh, your boy was coaching, but Vaughn, Stephen Irvin team that they were on at Loyola High School – I think we're down in set five. I was there at Newport Harbor, Newport fourteen Harbor. nine or fourteen no, ten. For, no, it was actually fourteen eleven. Fourteen eleven. Fourteen eleven. But yeah. th- I mean, the, I remember every play the way it goes. Your son blocked the ball. Uh, that was wild. Zoppy blocked the but but yeah. 
Irvin's going back to serve. He jump serves like a he jump served, machine. And he was 50% during the year. Yeah. So I said, it's over. That was some kind of comeback. That was a great, great um, comeback. What would, what would have been your most memorable win? Uh, in basketball? Uh, sure. Volleyball? Any, any sport. Oh. What sticks out in your mind? Gosh. I mean, the, uh, VBC, well, my obviously. Most, <laughs> we know that, but outside of that My most memorable win, uh, I mean, uh, I, Richard Segris and, my, and myself beat Tom Shamalis and Jim Mingus oh, in, wow. in a beach tournament. Okay. That's, that's, my, that's, that's a memorable win. But, that's memorable. But it, it, it doesn't compare to some of the bigger basketball games that, that, that we won. But that's, right. that's Yeah, what, that sticks out. Yeah. Um, first pet. First pet was a, uh, a dog named Fella. First car. First car was was a nineteen thirty thirty six thirty seven Chevy that we called uh, the mustache because we took out my one of my friends in auto shop took out whatever the front things were and then painted it covered it over and looked like it had a mustache. <laughs> All right, favorite sports team as a kid. The Brooklyn Dodgers. Nickname as a kid. Butch. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Favorite board game? Now or? Sure. Now. My favorite board game now would be, um, um, what's the name of the game? Tina and I, we play it all the time. Uh, I think it's called Secret Agent. Okay. Oh. No, it's Code Names. It's called yeah, Code Names. There, I remember that they had that at the no, Code Spy names. Museum. Code Names. Um, favorite main dish? Oh, hamburger meat over mashed potatoes and gravy. That's solid. Your kids used to die for my mom's That's meatloaf pie. They would come over. They would say, hey, um, should we go play football at your house? No, I've got to have gravy. I can't oh, have it dry. So I love I love a good shepherd's pie, but hamburger meat over mashed potatoes. Uh, favorite dessert? Which I get for my birthday every year. <laughs> Chocolate cream pie. Okay. Homemade. Homemade. I know you're a movie buff. Favorite movie? Of all time? Sure. The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Favorite musical group? Venice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> there, that's for, they finally got on the board. That's good. <laughs> favorite author? My favorite author would be... Oh, gosh. Not Nicholas. Um, Ian Fleming. Favorite uh, professional athlete? All time. Jerry West. Nice. Um, I think we already know where you met your wife. Frat yep. party. Uh, frat party. No, frat open house. Frat open house. And uh, this is funny because I asked everybody, and how about your first date? Was was first date was when uh, she was Our first date Julian was, Beers? The first date was the day we went to jail. <laughs> wow. It's good times. Uh, you have a favorite quote? I do, actually. Uh, my favorite quote is, wasted time is wasted life, mm. and sleeping is a waste of time. <laughs> Mm. Santa's heard that somewhere before. Um, name all 12 of your grandchildren, youngest to oldest. I'm just joking. Oh I can do that. You can? Absolutely. Knock it out. Parker, mm-hmm. Hayden, Davis, Ella. Um, Emmett, Kate. Um, Emmett, Kate. Oh, J- Jordan. Kate Jordan, um, I'm trying to do it in, or, in order. Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, I skipped one. I skipped, um, he's before Emmett. It would be um, Noah. It's 10. And then 
and then Quinn, Cece, Sloan, and Sasha. Nice. That was solid. Um, I actually wrote that down. I go. I told my wife Christine. I go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give this one. Then I'm gonna <laughs> let him off the hook. But you nailed it. Nice. Okay. And then normally we do a, a pop culture quiz on because we're the show of record of 1980s television. Oh. However, I, I did up some some different ones for you. You ready? Good. Good. Pick one of the three. <clears throat> Dragnet, Law and Order, or Murder Ooh, She Wrote. Law and Order. Oh, the only one I've, I watched was Dragnet. Nice. I know. I was hoping you'd say that. Best fictional defense lawyer, Perry Mason, Atticus Finch, or Ben Matlock? Wow. I, I would go with um, Atticus Finch because his, the job he did was, was unbelievable. Oh, was Perry funny. Mason did it every week, so I'm going with Atticus. <laughs> Best courtroom movie, 12 Angry Men, To Kill a Mockingbird, or My Cousin Vinny? My Cousin Vinny. That's hoping you choose that. Uh, whose case would you take? And this is the pro athlete murder division. O.J. Simpson, Reuben Carter, who was uh, middleweight, I think, 1966, or Aaron Hernandez. Ooh. If you had to defend one of the three. Reuben Carter. Yeah, Hurricane. Was... All right. Whose case would you take? Historical division. Joan of Arc, 1431. Here's uh, Heresy. John Brown. 1859, treason, first-degree murder, insurrection, or Jesus, A.D. 30, <laughs> treason, blasphemy. Wow. Um, you know, only because I know the results of all three, I think the easiest one to to get uh, either a reversal or an acquittal mm-hmm. would have been Joan of Arc. Mm. So I would take her. Okay, fair enough. I thought it, I just was throwing out the Jesuit no. selection. Okay. No, no, no. I got, there was, he had no chance. That was, <laughs> plus, he wanted that. He, yes, so that's right. Yeah, that's, it, makes, uh, it makes a big difference. How about uh, whose case would you take in the sports division? All right, the Black Sox, who in 1921, I think was when the court case came, but I think it was 1919 or 18. 1919. 1919. Uh, they were charged with fixing. Um, although they got off, some of the players got banned. All right, that's one. Ollie versus the United States military which it was a refusal to step forward. I think that was 67. Or Kurt Flood versus Major League Baseball, which was a reserved clause of 1970. I'd rather have a fourth one. I'd rather take Pete Rose's case against, oh, against, tell uh, me about against it. Major League Baseball. I'd like to hear about that, actually. All right. I, I, but with the three you gave me, I would take the, the um, what was the first one? Uh, the Black Sox. I'd take Shoeless Joe Jackson. Mm-hmm. He got punished, and he didn't try to throw the games. That's right. And he was one of the greatest players yeah, ever. One of the great World game. Series yep, ever. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, my feeling about Pete Rose is that, and this comes from you know being a gambler myself, um, I think the ban against, against him, I think his punishment doesn't fit the crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's been punished enough. And had he bet one dollar on one of his games, mm-hmm. then I would have said the ban for life is sufficient. But because his betting was on baseball, based on his knowledge, uh, which, which by the way, the, the hypocrisy of some of the rules that come down, uh, the rulings that come down from Major League Baseball and other sports, uh, you can bet on any baseball game you want to bet on. You go to Las Vegas, you can bet on any game you want to bet on. It's legal in the state of Nevada. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because he was a manager, baseball looked upon this as bad for the game, going back to the 
but he wasn't talking to anybody to get inside information. He was using his skills as a manager to bet. So I think that he should have been punished. Yeah, They should have kept him out for a number of time, but he was one of the best players ever to play the game. He, yeah, he, he deserves He deserves his place in the Hall of Fame. Um, if we had a Hall of Fame, we'd induct you in. Thank you. And um, thank you. I do want to thank you for always being a great um, model for me. I uh, always respected you. And, um, and in particular, you know, when I was young, taking me around to those games really opened my eyes to what I could maybe do for a living. And, and so I appreciate that. The good news, the good news for me is I've got myself into a family that that uh, there's, there's never a dull moment. There's always they do come, they come to me a lot with issues and problems, and and um, uh, I I actually welcome that, and I would never turn anyone away, and and uh, it's the most incredible family. You know, I come from a family of two, yeah. and when I, my first in, in, involvement in to this family, I'll never forget when I went to her house. Uh, 13 children. I'm sitting in the front room waiting for her to go out on a date. Her father was ironing in his shorts, his underwear. <laughs> He's ironing on an ironing board. And in my household, I mean, my mother did everything. Right? She ironed my handkerchiefs. <laughs> she ironed socks. Oh, my god! I mean, it was unbelievable. And I'm watching this, and then I'm seeing her mother in the kitchen on the phone with Marky grabbing grabbing her skirts, crying, ah, and she's talking to somebody on the phone, and Virginia's yelling, where's my slip? Barbara, where did you put my slip? And Barbara's yelling back, I don't have your slip. And I'm going, what is, this is the most chaotic place I've ever been into. But once I became uh, part of the family, uh, it, it's, it was amazing how much love mm-hmm. and compassion this family, look, who was it that said that he, without fault, throw the first uh, stone? It's the guy you didn't get off the. Yeah, I didn't get him off the. Get <laughs> that him that off guy the you cross. didn't get him off the wrap. <laughs> uh, but I can tell you that that um, this family, uh, the love and the compassion this family has uh, for themselves and others uh, is by far one of the greatest things I've ever experienced and lucky to be a part of. Yep. Well, we're lucky to have you. I, I, I'd, I'd vote you in the Family Hall of Fame. Thank too. you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Wayne. All right, you're welcome. Thanks, Wayne. All righty. Thanks for watching and listening. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is produced by me, Marley Rice, and Christine Jinbo, and edited by bad boy Bobby McCall. Original music courtesy of Lennon Music Production and original images courtesy of Sienna Lennon Photography. A big thank you to all of our contributors of the show. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc. and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever you watch and listen. Make sure you press that subscribe button, give us a review, leave a comment. It will really help us grow the show. And you know what else will help us grow the show? Head on over to patreon.com slash Denny Lennon to get some never-before-seen videos, pictures, interviews, and so much more. We are all over social media and constantly sending out clips on Facebook, conducting fun polls on Twitter, going live on Instagram, and more. To find all of our social media links, head on over to sportsstoriespodcast.com. SSDL proudly supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation and the Heroes Movement. 
Links to how you can support and help these foundations can be found on our website. We also want to give a big thank you to all of our partners of the show. So, as Coach Lennon would say, any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email me, Marley, at info at sportsstoriespodcast.com. We want to thank all of our followers and listeners, and we will see you next time. Check it out, book!